in two weeks, we're going to kick off a new series called The Thrill of Hope. And that's going to lead us all the way to Christmas. And we're going to be talking about the longing for Jesus and how the entire world is longing for Jesus and how the entire Old Testament is about building and longing for the coming of the Christ. And it is going to be one of the best times in the season of our church for you to think through people that don't know Jesus and bring them with you. Um, Like I want to see this place full of people that have questions that are far from God to meet people that are outside of church that don't have community. And I want to, I want to like encourage you think through who those people are in your life and bring them with you because the thrill of hope is what the gospel is about. And we need that hope as we enter into Christmas. Amen. But before we do that, we get to finish heroin really strong. Uh, the last seven weeks we've been talking about feminine strength that the world needs And it's been one of my favorite sermon series that we've ever done. Um, We've heard crazy testimonies about the way that God's moved in our ladies' lives. We've got 130 ladies that have gone through an eight-week leadership cohort to learn how to dig into the Bible, to understand the Word of God, to do discipleship better. And I just feel like there's like evidences of grace all over our church through this. Um, I expected ladies to be impacted by it. I did not expect the way it was going to touch our men. But every week for the last seven weeks, I've had conversations with single guys who are thinking through like, I really want to start honoring and respecting the women in my life. Uh, I've talked to husbands who want to actually value the gift of the wife that they had. I've talked to dads that want to be better daddies to their daughters. And it's been really beautiful. And one of the things that the elders talked about is that we wanted to end this thing. Like we wanted to tie the bow on a sermon series about feminine strength by having a lady in our church speak from the unique perspective of a lady. And uh, if you've been a part of Frontline for very long, you know that most of the teaching that we do is done by the elders or pastors of our church. And those two words are both biblical, like an elder is a pastor and a pastor is an elder. And the idea is most of the preaching and teaching in our church is done through these elders who are really like, they're like dads in the local church. So if you think about what a dad's supposed to be at home, and I know a lot of us didn't have dads that did this, but if you think of what a dad's supposed to be, a dad protects and he guards and he serves his family into greater health. Well, what a pastor is in the local church is supposed to be like a dad in the local church that helps guard and lead and protect and feed the people of God. So the vast majority of our teaching and preaching, especially on Sunday, is we have an elder that's going to proclaim the word of God. But... There's so much room in the New Testament to recognize that there are other saints in our gathering who are not pastors or elders, who have a teaching gift and who have something that's needed in the body of Christ. And so today we're going to have a lady that loves Jesus. We're going to have a lady that's deep in her character and her walk with Christ. And that's an absolutely wonderful human being. We're going to have her share the story of a lady named Lydia to finish this thing out. And I'll just say, if that raises a lot of questions, like, what does the Bible say about women in ministry? Like, is it biblical to have her teach? Or if you're thinking like, finally, we should only have women teach in our church. Like wherever you come from on the spectrum, uh, we wrote what I think is a really, really helpful paper explaining the New Testament passages on women in ministry. And I think you're gonna find it really beneficial and a blessing to you. And you can grab that paper on our blog at frontlinechurch.com. Now, without further ado, My wife, Nancy Curry, is going to come up here and teach out of the Bible. She's going to talk to us about Lydia. Um, I'll say that subjectively, she's my favorite person in the entire world. Um, I married this girl. I married this girl almost 20 years ago. She's been my girlfriend since I was 13 years old. 
So subjectively, I'm drawn to her like a moth to flames. Um, but objectively, I'll also say that this wouldn't be a church if it wasn't for this lady. And that's not an overstatement. Um, if she didn't partner with me in the gospel to plant this church, and if she wasn't willing for the last 11 years to lay down her life and, and to bring like this big sisterly, motherly grace into our church, Frontline Church would not have survived and we wouldn't be worshiping Jesus in this room. So um, I want you guys to put your hands together, welcome her, and then open your Bibles and let's learn about the life of Lydia. All right. Am I on? Yay. Well, being Josh's wife, I get a front row seat to um, our elders in this church. And since I have the mic for a minute, um, I just want to say, man, I'm so thankful for those guys. They pray for you guys. They love you. They, um, they strive for health in this place like, like men I've never seen. And I just, I'm so thankful for the trustworthy men God's brought for us. Um, and so when you think of it, pray for them. Pray for their wives. Pray for their kids. Pray for their homes because the enemy hates what they do. They guard us. They love us well. And um, they've made this a healthy church by God's grace. So thank you guys. You're awesome. Um, will you guys, will you pray for them? Will you do that? Good. Okay. <laughs> I, wanted, I wanted some kind of a commitment. All right. We're going to be in, um, we're going to be in Acts 16 if you want to follow along with me. Um, we're talking about Lydia, and she's historically the first convert to Christianity in Europe. So that's kind of cool. Um, and I just think she's a really cool lady. And God does some really awesome stuff with her that it seems a little bit hidden because it's such a short story. But if you dig into it, it's pretty amazing. So we're going to look at that today. And we're going to talk about feminine strength when it's rooted in God's grace. So I'm just going to read the first 15 verses of chapter 16. This is Acts. It says, Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. <clears throat> a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his dad was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. This is verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to go into Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. This is verse 11. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace. The following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in the city for some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods and a worshiper of God, who the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. 
So let me give you some background. Lydia is um, originally from a place called Thyatira, and Thyatira was a town that was known for its purple cloth guilds. That was kind of like what their town was all about. Um, That was her business, and for some reason, it's been brought to Philippi. So she's moved. It's kind of like right across the Aegean Sea, and she's moved over, and that that's what she does. She's dealing with um, cloth buyers and shippers and dyers, and she's pretty wealthy. She has a large home, which is really weird for this time period, and um, she's able to host these guys. So we know she has enough room and money to feed them and space to hold them. So can we throw that map up? I'm super visual, so I wanted to give you a picture of what's happening here because it's so weird how many cities are listed here. What is this about? I think that the Lord wants us to see how far these guys traveled. So Paul starts out in Jerusalem. That's down here on the right. You can see he goes to Antioch over to Lystra right there, kind of um, right above Cyprus. And in Lystra is where they pick up Timothy. And he's this young guy and um, Paul just thinks he's great. So he ends up going with him. So we've got Luke who's writing the story, Paul, Silas, and then they've picked up Timothy. And they keep trying to go to all these other places. This whole area right here is called Asia at this point in time, but it's really like the whole country of Turkey now. And they keep trying to go here and they keep trying to go there. And the Holy Spirit's like, no, no, no. And so they end up in Troas. You can see right where the blue and the red meet. And that's right on the coast of the Aegean Sea. And that's where Paul has this vision. And it's like, come over to Macedonia and help us. So finally the Lord gives them freedom and they go. But by the time they've gotten from Jerusalem all the way to Philippi, which is across the Aegean Sea, it's like a thousand miles. So I looked up because I'm a nerd, like how far would that be? Because they're not, there's no motors. They're walking or they're riding animals, right? So it would be kind of like us walking to Salt Lake City, Utah. Yeah. Or like Green Bay, Wisconsin, or if you want to go east, walking to Pittsburgh. That's about a thousand miles. What I think is so cool about that is that here you've got this woman, Lydia, who is in Philippi. She's seeking after God. She's yearning for an answer and the love of God to have men walk a thousand miles to answer questions blows my mind. What loving grace was this? So Philippi is cool because it's this Roman colony and um, it was kind of like a uh, kind of like a veteran town. So a lot of soldiers, when they retired, would be given tracts of land to live there. So it's kind of, you know, rough guys, but they've been, they've been given tracts of land. There's gold mines all around. There's a mint there. So it's a wealthy town at the same time. And here's Lydia at this outpost. It's kind of like a mini Rome, and she's just doing her business, being successful. So we're, you can get rid of the map. That's good. <laughs> you guys get it. They went a long way. Um, so what happens when Feminine strength is met by the grace of God. That's what we're going to look at today. Because to me, Lydia totally embodies feminine strength. She's independent. She's got a household. Um, Her household is, you know, family, slaves, whatever. And she's responsible for these people. And here she is running this business. And she's maybe a widow, or I don't know. But she's responsible for some things. And she's used to working hard. She's trying to be moral. So let's look at... um, Let's look at Acts 16, verse 14. The first thing that happens when feminine strength meets the grace of God is that Lydia is given Christ himself. Look at this. This is verse 14. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Isn't that crazy? It was God's doing. God opened her heart to even understand. She'd already been seeking and um, she had an understanding of the God of the Old Testament. She feared him, but she probably felt like an ethnic outsider. She wasn't a Jew. 
And maybe some of the women who were there were not Jews either. Maybe, you know, who knows how they knew about um, the Jewish God? Who knows? Like, they might have been Jewish women married to Greek men. We don't know. But she's seeking after this God. She knows there's a creator. She's kind of like the Ethiopian eunuch who was riding in the chariot, and Philip runs up, and he's reading out of Isaiah, and he's like, do you know what you're reading? And the eunuch's like, how can I know unless somebody explains? Like, she's like that, like seeking, seeking. Who is this God? She's aware of human brokenness. She's just trying to be a good person. She's trying to be moral. She's working hard. And meanwhile, every Sabbath day, she's just going to the riverside to pray with these women. So what's cool is in 13, I love this. Verse 13, Paul shows up. Here she is by this river. And he doesn't stand and yell at them or preach at them, but he sits down. So he reads the situation. You've got this group of women who, the only place to go pray is by the river because there's not enough Jewish men to even have a synagogue. So they're meeting by the river and praying and and Paul comes, and he sits down, and it doesn't tell us what he said, but we can guess, like, what he sat down and would have talked to them about. She would have understood the language of transactions and bills and debt. He might have explained that, hey, this God is owed a debt, and we couldn't pay it. There's a just God who must be paid for sin. And she would have heard about animal sacrifice. She would have known all about that, that animals have to be killed every year, because sin has to be paid for in blood. And Paul might have said, that's who Jesus was. He was the perfect lamb. God's just, and he's a justifier. He's just, he must be paid for sin, but he's a justifier in that he himself came to pay our debt. It's like, I'll pay it with my own blood. He might have explained all that to her. He might have told his own story back from uh, chapter eight in Acts, where it says that when he was named Saul before Paul, it says he ravaged the church He might have told her about how he tore into homes. He said, I hated these Christians. I drug them to prison, men and women. And then remember Paul's on the road to Damascus, and he's just going along doing his thing. And the people who were with him heard the voice as well, but they didn't see anyone. And there's this voice that says, why are you persecuting me? And he struck blind for three days. Can you imagine how terrifying? He probably told her all about that story. He waited three days, and then... God tells this godly man, Ananias, hey, go to this guy, Saul. I'm choosing him for my purposes. And at first, Ananias was like, I know that guy. I am not going. I don't want to go. But because he wanted to obey the Lord, he went anyway. And he says, brother Saul, prays for him. His eyes are open. So it's like scales come off his eyes and he physically sees. I'm sure he told Lydia, and I physically could see, but I spiritually could see Jesus. He's the king. He's the son of God. And the Lord, the Bible says the Lord opens her heart so she can see the truth. And I can hear saying, ah, I get it. All the dots are connected now. I see it's Jesus. So for us, I mean, as women and men, but as women, we can think we have everything or we can be seeking after having everything. She had a home, a great business. She was really wealthy, really successful. We can either have those things or seek after those things. But unless God opens our heart to see who Jesus is, we don't have anything. That stuff's just stuff. So until he opens our heart, we don't have that assurance. I remember just wanting that assurance. Like, I just want to know I belong to God. Like, I fear him, but do I belong to him? And like the old hymn, like, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation purchased by God, purchased by God born of his spirit, washed in his blood. Like that's what she found, like blessed assurance. She was God's, God was hers. 
So I think as Christians, we need to just constantly be reminding ourselves, I do belong to God. That's where my strength is rooted. Remember the cross. And then if you don't know him, and if you find yourself, man, I'm like her. I fear God. I pray for him in crisis. Be brave and do a brave thing and say, God, if you're real, open my heart and see what he does. So not only does God give her himself, but her strength is rooted in gospel grace by being given a family. And I love this. Look at uh, verse 15. She was baptized and her household. So all the people who she loved and cared for as well. And she urged us saying, if you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So how she'd been given a family, I mean, her whole household becomes God's family. And all these guys, God's household becomes hers. So there's this awesome blending and exchange. Her family becomes God's family. So she shared, um, these men have shared truth with her. They're her brothers now. All of her, her life, her personality, all of her stuff is all about family and all about these guys who've been given to her as brothers. So she's like, she's like redeemed. And we don't use that word very much because it's like you redeem a coupon. It doesn't make as much sense. And I was like, well, what's another way I can say that? Like repurpose, but that's like secondhand. But it's like when we're redeemed, we're rightly purposed, right? The church needs good big sisters who'll speak up and care. And that's what she does in this. We get to see her do that. Strong women who are redeemed means rightly purposed for God's purposes. And I love this because it kind of blasts that um, weak old lady stereotype of the church lady, because most of us don't feel like that lady. And it blasts that. Look at this. Her personality shines through so awesome when she's dealing with these guys. And you can tell she's probably used to dealing with men in the marketplace just through her business. And God just totally redeems this. And and you can see her using it in a gospel way in ministry right away. I love how she comes pulling no punches. If you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. She doesn't even, it's like, if you don't judge me faithful, then you won't come. So she's just like, you're coming to my house. She clearly loves these guys. It's not about her getting her way. Like I love that Luke says, and she prevailed upon us. Like she conquered us. It's so awesome. Because she's conquering with love. It's not about, I'm going to win over these guys. It's like, hey, I'm not a passive person. I can't be a passive person, but she can be a godly person. So to be a godly woman, you don't necessarily have to be passive. Sometimes passivity is just not helpful at all. For me, one of my regular prayers, the older I get, is God, shut my mouth when it needs to be shut and open it when it needs to be open because I'm good at opening it. And some of us are too good at shutting it. But we need to rely on the Holy Spirit. God, open my mouth when you want it opened and shut my mouth when you want it shut. The church is desperate for godly women to be moms and to be good big sisters. And sometimes big sisters speak up. This is why we might have said, like, God, this is, this is why I have this stuff. You might have wondered, like, well, you know, she had this business. God given her all this, all this success. And she, this is how we as women can say, well, this is why I have this personality. This is why I have this stuff. This is why I have whatever you have to offer for family, for the body of Christ. That's why we have it. So not only is she given Christ himself, and she's given a family. Look at this. Her strength is rooted in grace, and she's given, um, she's given Christ, she's given a family, and she's given a mission. This is so cool. This, this is verse um, 16 through 39, and it's really long. It's a good story, and I don't want to just read the whole thing to you. Um, 
but I'm going to, I'll just give you like a quick sum up. So they're staying at her house. Um, let me see if I left out one thing I wanted to tell you. I don't think so. Weird. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> um, so Paul and Silas, are, they're all staying at her house and Paul and Silas leave and they're going to go back to that place of prayer by the river, right? And so they're walking along and um, this little slave girl is following them and she's got a spirit of divination. So she's like, uh, like fortune telling. And she's kind of pestering them and like yelling out as they walk along. And finally, Paul turns around and he says, ah, hush. And he, just, and he prays for her and she's totally freed from this spirit. Well, she had been making a lot of money for the people who owned her. So they're irritated. They go to the magistrates and, and complain. They come and they beat Paul and Silas with rods, throw them in prison and put them in shackles. And so about midnight, they're singing, praying, and um, this earthquake comes, and the whole prison, the doors fly open, the shackles are loosened, and the jailer, who's, he's probably one of these retired military guys, comes, and he's horrified, because his one job is to keep the prison, right? And it looks like everyone's gone, and so he draws his sword to, like, run himself through, and Paul's like, no, 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 don't do it, we're all here, and he's totally overwhelmed and overcome with the mercy of God, and he's like, what do, I, what do I do to be saved, right? And so Paul and Silas tell him all about Jesus. He's saved, and they go back to his house. His whole household is saved as well. Well, in the meantime, the magistrates figure out that Paul and Silas are Roman citizens, which is a big deal, and they've beaten them, and they've put them in jail. So they get a little bit afraid because they've done this. And so they come and apologize and say, we're so sorry we didn't know you were Roman citizens, and um, you're going to be released from prison, and will you please also leave our town <laughs> because you're causing too much trouble. And this is so cool. Look at verse 40. is the very last verse in this chapter. It says, So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. So they go back to Lydia's house. And I was thinking about this. I've had a lot of groups of pastors stay at our house. There's been a few times where we've had, you know, men on all the couches and kids out of their beds and pastors staying with us. But um, I've been, you know, woken up with them all laughing really hard at three in the morning, which is great. But I've never had house guests stir up the city, mess up somebody's business, get thrown in jail and arrested, cause a near suicide. I've never dealt with house guests like that. And she just rolls with this so beautifully. It's like great adventure to her. They come back to her home. She didn't say, no, I changed my mind. (laughs) I love that Luke mentions they go back to Lydia's house because that would have been scary. Her reputation, she's probably single and she's a business lady, but these are her brothers and she's so rooted in Christ's love. It's just, she doesn't care. It's fine. (laughs) She's sharing in God's mission. Everything she's doing is now rooted out of love. You see how she gave of herself as soon as the Lord opened her heart, and she's like, oh, I see, it's Jesus. He was my price. He paid for my life. My sin is washed. She saw that, and then she saw, oh, I've been given a family. My whole world now is about the family of God, and God's family is my family. She belongs now. Jew or Greek didn't matter. She had a family now, and she knew the God who loved her and saved her and sent these guys a thousand miles just to tell her the good news of it. What love. That's like crazy, crazy love. And then she used her personality, and 
in the fact that she was like, you're staying at my house. She's like, how tired must they have been traveling that far, exhausted and weary? And she's like, no, you're staying with me. This is what I have to offer. All of it was on the table. She was on mission. So check this out. So there's Lydia, her whole household. If I was writing this for a movie and I was, I was scripting it out, I would totally have the slave girl go to Lydia's. I don't, she leaves the story and it makes me so sad. Someday in eternity, I want to talk to Lydia about it. But in my, in my fantasies, the slave girl gets to go to Lydia's house. I don't know. <laughs> so Lydia, her whole household, the jailer, his whole household. This is now ground zero for the church at Philippi. It's planted probably in her home. And so some of the disciples would have stayed, but then Paul goes on. Isn't that crazy? So she starts a whole church plant. And then, you don't have to turn here, but I'm going to read it to you. In Philippians chapter 4, this is verse 15. So Luke has written this whole story. He was there when this happened. Now we have Paul writing a letter back to the church at Philippi. And check this out. He says, And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me, giving and receiving, except only you. So you can see like her generosity from the get-go where she's like, you're tired, you're weary, you're staying in my house. That personality, it was like, it's like it was almost imprinted on this church. Like she set the tone, like we're going to be a giving place. And they were like, yeah, we are. And they were the only church who gave Paul money at that time and sent him what he needed and cared for him. And he, I love that he even lists that that's in his letter that we get to see that. That's who this church was. So she set the tone for that plant, caring for each other, caring for the disciples, being on mission for Jesus. Isn't that amazing? So what does grace, grace do for feminine strength? What does grace not do for feminine strength? Well, grace did not change her gender. Grace didn't erase her personality, which I love, which God gave her in the first place, right? He just redeemed it. Grace didn't change her stage of life. She was still the age she was, who she was. And I love that it didn't pull her out of her business. I'm sure she kept selling purple cloth and making a lot of money and supporting people. She probably cared for so many people in that church plant. And she was an example of it to everybody around her. And it certainly did not make her life any easier. It was hard, but it was fun and it was eternal work. Her whole story now, her whole story is folded into the great story of the gospel. That's why 2,000 years later we're talking about a lady in Philippi, you know, who sold purple cloth and made a lot of money doing it. So what does grace do for feminine strength? Gives her a whole new heart. Gave her love for Christ, love for the church. Grace gave her participation in ministry, and it gave her purpose. The world needs strong women. I'm strong. The world needs strong women. But strength for strength at the end is unhelpful. I'm strong. Great. We can get together and have a glass of wine and talk about how strong we are. But to what end? How does that help? Why would God make strong women? The world needs strong women who are transformed by Christ's love, what he did for us, transformed by that love that he would go to a cross when we were owed a debt. We owed him a debt, and he paid it for us with himself, with his blood, with his perfect life. The world needs strong women who offer all that they are for the benefit of others. 
good big sisters in the body of Christ who will speak up when they need to speak up and offer all that they are redeemed by Jesus. Me, Nancy Curry, not redeemed by Jesus is scary and bossy. But Nancy Curry, redeemed by Jesus is helpful, right? It's helpful. The world needs strong women who fold their story into his story because that makes us able to reflect who Christ is. Once our story is folded into Jesus' story, it's eternal. And then we're reflecting who God is. We're reflecting him to everybody around us. And we can't do that out of our own strength. We can't just be good, be like Lydia. Well, we can't. But we can, we can be like pipes that go, oh, the love of Christ, and push out the love of Christ to those around us. Oh, man, affirmation from Jesus, affirmation for others. Gifts, resources, talent, personality, redeemed for Jesus, redeemed for Jesus. And that's how we shine out to the world. That's how we use all that God made us. That's how we use our personality, our strength, our feminine strength, masculine strength, whatever in this room. That's how we use that for God's glory is let it be redeemed and touched and come under the story of Christ Jesus. Our story is in his story and we're a part of an eternal thing then.